Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Well, amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for joining us this morning. Amen. Now, uh, you can open up in your Bible, your device, to Revelation chapter 2. And uh, we are covering the bookends, the Alpha and the Omega, Genesis, the bookend on the left, Revelation, the bookend on the right. And we're in chapter 2. Now, this is probably, the book of Revelation, one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, most confusing, feared book in all of God's eternal counsel. Uh, But I don't think it's supposed to be that difficult. And I don't think we're supposed to understand all of it, but I certainly think we're supposed to understand some of it, the parts of it that God has revealed to us. And uh, so I want to remind you as we've trekked along, uh, we have an outline given by Jesus himself to John the Revelator. And this outline is found in chapter 1, verse 19. And he breaks down the whole book into three sections or categories. He says in verse 19, when, keep in mind, this when John turned to see who's speaking, he saw the resurrected Jesus, the one that we just kind of sang about, that he's different than he was in the Gospels. He's no longer the suffering servant. He is the resurrected king of the universe. And when John turns to, turns to see him, he finds himself on his face before King Jesus because he used the words that he had to describe him. He said, man, his hair was like white, like wool or uh, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And he had this white robe on and a gold sash, and his feet were like polished, uh, uh, heated brass, and out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. I mean, that will shake you in your shoes. That is the proper response to the Lord Jesus now. And, and, And we have a fresh perspective or a fresh view of the King of glory, Jesus Christ. Now, he tells him in chapter 1, verse 19, right after he's seen him, he says, now, John, I'm going to give you this revelation. I'm going to give you, I'm going to unfold all of the future right before your eyes. And I want you to do this. The first thing he says in in chapter 1, verse 19, he says, therefore, write what you saw. So chapter 1 is what he saw. It is a picture. It is an image. It is a presence of the resurrected Jesus. Then he says, now I want you to write the things which are. The things which are are chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. It is the church age. Chapters 2 and chapter 3 identify seven, not because there were only seven, seven because seven in God's numerology is the picture of completion or perfection. He says, I'm going to have you write letters to seven different churches. And these seven different churches are actual churches in modern day Turkey, which would, would have been called Asia Minor. He says, you're going to write these letters. Now, they, they are written to real churches but they also paint a picture of the ages of the church from its inception in Acts until Jesus returns for the church in what we call the rapture or the catching away. Okay, so chapters 2 and 3, this this is where we live. This is who we are today in the church age. And then he says the third section, which will begin in chapter 4 all the way to the end, are the things which shall be after this after the church age. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you, when you get to chapter 4, when you turn the page from 3 to 4, although the church has, has found prominence in all of the New Testament, it finds a ton of prominence 
in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, chapter 4 through 19, there's no church. It's not mentioned. All that's mentioned is tribulation, and I fully believe we are exempt. We are delivered from the tribulation period, which lasts seven years. Now, we'll cover that when we get a little closer. So if you differ from that, it's okay. Well, you'll see why we believe biblically uh, what we believe. Now, he began last week in these letters to the churches, and the first one was Ephesus. So let's go, let's do a little geography lesson. Okay, we're going to go to modern-day Turkey, okay? And you're going you're gonna to start on the west coast in the southern region, and there, there it was a church called the church at Ephesus. Now, the first church we called the, uh, the cold-hearted church church. That's the church that lost their first love. Jesus says, listen, guys, y'all are working. You're doing it. You're killing it. You're doing all these good things, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. Your motivation is a little lacking because you forgot your first love. The word is you left your first love. We talked about God didn't look at them and say, you messed that up. Bam, I'm taking away your salvation. That's not what he does. We have this idea that God is this cosmic killjoy in heaven, man, and we mess up. Bam, bam, bam. You know, he wear you out and get out of my family. No, he loves us all the time. He loved you before you were created and born. He loved you before you were saved. He doesn't love you more when you are saved because he is love. God is love. He is eternal and infinite, and his love is only contingent on the fact that he is love. Isn't that good news? I know some of y'all, you're thinking, man, I'm glad of that for my husband. You know, man, he needs some eternal love like that. Okay? Some of y'all have teenagers. Man, I'm glad that God doesn't just bust you into oblivion when you mess up because I got a teenager, man, they love the devil, okay? God loves you all the time, infinitely, because he's love. And what had happened, this church had left. They had moved away from their first love. Still doing the thing, still doing all right, as you know, doing the works, but the motivation was wrong. Well, today we're going to see a different church. We're going to move from the cold-hearted church to the suffering church. Not my favorite chapter. Not my favorite church. Not my favorite topic. Let me just be candid with you. I am a happy, I, I'm a happy, uh, good life loving Christian. I like happiness. I like feeling good. I like going to church. I wish prosperity gospel was true that I could believe health and wealth and, and goodness enough and confess it with the word of my mouth and it would be what I call it and I would call things that are not as if they were and because God loves me and I have mustard seed faith, everything I tell God to do, he listens to my beck and call and he reports to me now because of my faith, that's a lie from the devil. Right. Crickets. I wish I could tell you that. And you can certainly turn on the television and find you somebody to tell you some of that, okay? But it's not true. Suffering is, in fact, yes. part of the Christian experience. And if you expect to never have any or you don't ever want any, maybe you should choose not to be a Christian. Now, that's what I'm saying. This is not my happy chapter. I don't like this chapter, but I'm telling you it's real. Now, let me just get, let me paint a very real picture with you, Okay? Suffering is God's way of developing you. Suffering is God's way of allowing you to experience a different level of Jesus Christ because we identify in his suffering and he identifies in our suffering. 
Suffering is a reality to Christianity, but the difference between suffering as a Christian and, the, and, and suffering as a non-Christian is as a Christian, the one who suffered most when he died a miserable death on a cross on your behalf, he comes in right beside you. He's right there with you through it all. That's the difference. Now, I wish it wasn't true. I, I remember when Kendra and I got married and we got pregnant with our first child. She got pregnant with the first child. And I remember going to the doctor, man, and we were living for Jesus. I mean, we were sold out. We were really trying. We were engaged in our, in our pilgrimage with Jesus. And, and I remember the doctor doing a, some tests, and he says, I, we need to talk to you. He says, you need to come in. So we need to talk about an alternative plan because your daughter, the test results are in, and your daughter is going to be born with one of two ailments, either encephaly, encephalitis, the absence of a brain, or spinal bifida. And it'll crush your soul. And I remember Kendra and I, we were just a young, 20, early 20s couple. And, and man, we just labored. And, and for the first time, honestly, I ever remember my life, I prayed an unselfish prayer and said, God, I, I trust you. I'm, I'm in this zone with you. I, I really believe you. I don't want this to be real in our family. But if it is, you're God and I'm not, and we're going to trust you through it. Well, God healed her. They, they, they talked to us about alternatives, about termination of pregnancy. I'm telling you, we were in a suffering moment. God walked with us through that. Caitlin was fine, and she's fine to this day. She's the mother of two, our two grandchildren. Praise Jesus. Listen, he allows you to go through suffering moments. I remember when Kendra, as a young mother, was diagnosed with cancer. I don't want that stuff. I hate cancer. God hates cancer, Okay but he will allow this suffering. I remember, and I remember the doctor saying, Kendra, the, we, we've looked at your, at your results and uh, you, you have cancer. And, I, and I'm sitting there, oh. And I remember Kendra said, oh, really? Just like that. And he said, yeah. And I said, um, we're going to have to remove it and maybe have to do some post-surgery treatments. And she said, okay. And he said, are you listening to me? She said, yeah, well, you're not acting like most people when they hear this news. And I never will forget it. She said, well, I believe Jesus has everything in control. <laughs> and I'm like, you go, girl, because I got nothing, okay? And I said, yeah, you go. And we left that room, and, man, I said, Kendra killed it. Man, you blessed my heart. She goes, <laughs> I said, what happened to the other one, you know? Listen, she went through it. She had cancer. They removed the cancer. God healed her body. She's cancer-free now for years. We had to go through that. I remember laying in my front yard in my underwear. I'm not making this up because I had a disc explode in my lower back. It took uh, Dilaudid. Doc, you know what Dilaudid is, bad stuff. It's for bad stuff. It took Dilaudid to remove the pain. And I'm praying, Lord Jesus, I'm your child. Bring me on home. I can, I'm, I'm a terrible sufferer, okay? I am a weenie, okay? And guys, you can laugh. You are too. That's why the women got the job of having the babies, all right? And I remember laying, laying and praying, God, take me home. I cannot take it anymore. And he took, put me through a season of suffering. Listen, now I can look up and tell you this. I was a student pastor through most of that. God all the while was preparing my heart. He was breaking my heart so he could remold it and fashion it so I could pastor in the future. I didn't see that. I didn't like that. But I trusted God, and he made good the bad that came into my life. You see, God will always use suffering for his glory and your good if you let him.
Now today, I just want to tell you that. It's biblical. I can show you in Scripture where suffering is a part of our Christian journey. And so today, we're going to move up the coastline to modern-day Turkey. We're going to go to Izmir, okay? If you fly to Turkey today, you land in Izmir, okay? Izmir is where is Smyrna, okay? It's a real place. And once upon a time, there was a real church, a little church in this land called Smyrna. And this is the suffering church. And in verse 8 of chapter 2, we're going to begin understanding the reality of a church. And, a, and keep in mind, when he says a church, it's the people in the church. You're the church. They're suffering in a church. He says, to the angel or the messenger, the pastor of the church at Smyrna, write this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your affliction I know your poverty, yet you are rich. And I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews, but they're not. They are the synagogue of Satan. All right, so let's paint a picture. Here they are. There's this amazing town with about 250,000 people at the time. It was, it was a, a booming place. Ephesus was the economic center. This would be the religious center. Okay, in this place, they had all kinds of pagan temple god worship. It was the first city. They, they loved Rome. They were committed to Rome, their, their government ruler. They worshiped the Caesar. They would say, Curios uh, Caesar, uh, Caesar is Lord. They would offer incense to the Roman leader. This is who this land was. This is where this was located. If you go over there today, it's still an unbelievable view. The bay is beautiful. This place is beautiful. Now, when you roll in, it's just, it's, 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 it's just aesthetically, it will capture your breath. And then there's a, a hill in Smyrna, in Izmir, and on top of this, they erected these temples. They had a temple up there to Aphrodite. They had a temple to Sibeli or Diana. They had a, a temple to uh, Zeus. They had a temple to Aesculapius. They had temples up there. They erected a temple to the Roman leader, Tiberius. Uh, they had temples to everything. It was a pantheon of gods. And in that land where all of this wonderful stuff was going on, God planted a little church called the church at Smyrna. It was pastored by an old man named Polycarp. And Polycarp would lead this church and, 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 and ultimately would be martyred. And we'll see that in a few minutes. Now, a lot of good things were happening in this community. But here's what happened. They were uh, loyal, loyal to Rome, loyal to Caesar. So, so, so here's this place, this town where everybody worshiped different gods and Caesar and Rome. There's this little church that said, yeah, we don't, we don't really roll like that. My God is not Zeus. My God is not Aphrodite. My God is not Tiberius. My God is not Rome. My God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to him and him alone will I give my allegiance. Now, something weird happens when that's where you live. When you live there, now all of a sudden the rest of the people, and there were a lot of Jews there too, what they do is they accuse you of being unfaithful uh, to Rome. They accuse you of being an atheist because you won't worship all of their lowercase g gods. They accuse you of being a cannibal if you take communion and you call communion a representative of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. They 
accuse you of cannibalism. And all of a sudden, you are looked at, you are outcast. And not only that, when they found out that you confessed Christianity, the authorities would come and take everything you have. They'd take your home, all of your possessions, everything. So Jesus looks down in the middle of this little church located at Smyrna, and he says, hey, church, I see you there. I want you to know something today. God sees you right where you are. And you may be living wild and free. He's watching. You may be living devoted to him. He's watching. You may be living in a season of no suffering. He's watching. You may be living in a season of difficult hardship and suffering. He is watching. And I got a message for you from Jesus because he gave it to this church. He says, I was before, before, and I will be after, after. I was dead, and now I am alive. I want you to remember who I am. And so when you're in the middle of that spot that you didn't ask for, you may have just arrived there and you don't like it one little bit, and you thought it would go away overnight, and you're still in the middle of it. He says, hey, I got you. I'm watching you. I was before, before. I'm after, after. I was dead. I'm alive, and I'm giving myself to you. I was thinking about this, and I, I remember that little song. He's got the whole world in his hands. You remember that little song? I got a funny story. A friend of mine is a pastor. And they had a service one night, and this lady came up, and she's crying. She said, I, was, I just need to sing a song the Lord gave me. I said, I just wrote it a few minutes ago. He said, what am I going to do? You know, so can I sing it to the church? And he said, well, sure. And she, he gave her the mic, and she started singing. He's got the whole world in his hand. He got the whole world. And he goes, you didn't write that. Give me that microphone. All right? And I was, but I was thinking about it. The reality is he's got the whole world in his hand. Listen, the Bible says all things were created by, for, and through Jesus. He was at creation. He was at the cross. He will be at the door to eternity. He will be the king forever who will reign over us. He's got the, the whole universe in his hand. And in the universe is this globe. And on this globe is you. He's got you right in the palm of his hand. And he knows what he allows into your life. Now listen to this. I want you to know the things in our life that we do not like and we wonder, is God real? Is God watching? And does God care? Watch this. Has anybody ever wondered any of those three questions? Let's be transparent. Okay. <laughs> Several of you lying this morning. I'm going to have to alter my message for next week. Okay. We all have wondered that. We've all wondered that. Is he real? Does he care? Does he love me? And I want you to know something. There's nothing that happens in your life that does not first pass through the filter of God's sovereign will. Everything that ever happens, good, bad, or indifferent, must go through the, the, the sovereign will of God. And trust me when I say there's things I wish his filter would have been a little tighter, okay, in my life. There's some things I wish he would not have allowed to pass through into my life. And I know you're no different. I know you have them too. But all the while, God says, I will take it and I will make it into something better. I will take the mess that I allow in your life and I'll whisper over it and make a message to, to change the world, to bring myself glory and to grow 
the kingdom. He says, I'm watching and I got you. So King Dr. Jesus shows up and he, he gives them a physical exam. And then secondly, as with all physical exams, he's going to offer a prescription because that's what a good doctor does. He says, oh, this is the problem. I'm going to tell you what you can do with this problem. He says, verse 10, first of all, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. That's an odd phrase coming from Jesus. You want him to say, don't be afraid. I'm here I'm going to rescue. Suffering is over. And sometimes he does say that, but he doesn't always say that. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. It's not over yet. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And it's not, not, we don't really know what 10 days is. Many people believe 10 seasons of persecution upon the church. He says, but be faithful even to the point of death. I want you to tell your neighbor, don't be afraid. I want you to tell your neighbor, be faithful. I want to tell you something as a Christian. We have every reason to, to grow a spine, to stand strong in the world we live in and say, you know what? Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I don't care what you think. I hate it if you don't believe in him. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that God will open up a door of witness for me to you. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and be glad about it. That's how we should be as Christians. And sometimes when we look in the mirror, it does not reflect what the Lord Jesus has placed in our heart. Sometimes at church, it doesn't reflect it. Listen, we have to be mindful every day that he's right here with us, and he will hold us and move us and comfort us and protect us through the hardest days and the darkest nights. Now listen, Smyrna, the name, derives its name from a word called myrrh. You remember where we kind of hear about myrrh? Jesus's birth. And shortly thereafter, the wise guys show up bringing gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, myrrh, what is myrrh? It is a, a, fragrant, a fragrance. It's like a perfume. It is an, an, an anointing substance for burial. It is to help um, mask the odor of decay of a dead body. And so at Jesus' birth, the third one, and I've laughed about this when I teach the Christmas story. Can you imagine being the wise guy? Hey, man, what'd you bring? Oh, I got some gold stuff, got some jewelry, necklaces, you know, a couple of bars of gold. Oh, what'd you bring? Oh, I got frankincense, very valuable. I've got this. What'd you bring? Myrrh, you know? Yeah, this is going to remind him that he's going to die one day, you know? He got the short straw, that wise guy did, okay? Now, what is myrrh? Myrrh, it's a plant, and it grew in Smyrna. Now, how do you get this plant to emit the aroma, the fragrance. You break it, you beat it, and you crush it. Listen to this. And the more you pulverize it, the more you beat it, the more the odor just flows. And so this church, the Lord Jesus is saying, listen, it's not over yet. You're going to have to suffer some more. But I'm telling you, the aroma that's going to come from this little church in this big pagan land is going to change the kingdom. 
Listen, I want you to remember something. We go through this life often and we don't do a thing. We don't say a word about the Lord Jesus. We don't tell anybody about Jesus. We don't invite anybody to church. We don't pray to Jesus. We just live our lives. Hopefully that we got a stamp on our back that says, born again, one day I'm going to heaven. I got my ticket to ride. Okay, And meanwhile, we do nothing for the kingdom. I want to remind you, if you're born again, the God of everything has invited you into the kingdom, not just because he wants to spend eternity with you. He does, but he wants to use you to change the kingdom of heaven and change the kingdom of hell. He wants you to be used as an instrument that will introduce a passageway from a hell-born life to a heaven-born life. He wants to use you for that. I'm, I'm telling you, and it's never, and right now I want to tell you, church, I really believe God has swung the door open for people to receive Christ, for people to be restored, for people to find a fresh relationship with Jesus in the local church. In the last few days, I have never seen so much of this. People walk up into my circle, you know, a neighbor, a friend, they walk right up into my circle and they say, hey, uh, I noticed you were doing this. You need any help? I said, well, yeah. And, and they start confessing. I, 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 I feel up here, make sure I don't have a collar on. I feel like a priest because they're confessing. And I'm like, and I tell them every time, oh, man. I, and here's what they confess all the time, half a dozen in the last few days. I don't ask. It just comes out. You're a preacher, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a preacher. And that's how I say, I'm glad I'm a preacher. If you ever want, I'm happy to be a preacher, okay? I ought not be a preacher. I ought to be in jail, okay? I ought to be dead. So I'm happy to be a preacher. I say, yeah, I'm a preacher. And they say, well, I, I, I watch you, you know, and I, I watch you laugh. And I, you know, I sin, and they have this story. And then, all of a sudden, they just feel urged to confess. And, and, and here's their confession. I've been out of church a long time. I believe in Jesus, I'm saved, but I've been out of church a long time. And I, my, why are you telling the preacher? You know, you can tell that to Jesus. He's your intercessor, you know. And I tell him, I say, oh, well, you know, I, honestly, I understand that. It's easy to do. Just take it up with Jesus. You know, he'll, he'll listen to you, you know. And I say, but if you're in between churches, <laughs> you remember I'm a preacher. I'd like to invite you to mine. Okay? And they say, now they lie sometimes, you know, that's what people do. And oh, you do too, don't, don't, we don't judge them. And, and they, they say, I, I'm going to come to your church, you know. I say, well, I would like for you to come to church. And honestly, they'll come to church. They'll, they'll, I really feel like they're going to come to church. They will, okay? Listen, the door is open and the world is suffering and you hold within your heart and in your hand the key that, in, that unlocks the door to help them press through it. You carry that with you everywhere you go. And so sometimes he needs to squeeze the aroma. Now listen to me. Maybe your life has not been generating much of the aroma, the fragrance of the beauty and the love of an eternal God who died on a cross to offer you life. Maybe you just haven't been generating much of that. I just want to tell you, be very careful with that. Because if you don't do it naturally, he, he sometimes puts the squeeze on you. And I'm a product of the squeeze. I got scars to show it. And it's a whole lot better to generate that aroma just because it overflows from your soul than when God breaks you and makes you generate his fragrance. 
Now, as any doctor does, he moves from the prescription to a prognosis, you know, and he does this in five of these seven letters where you say, now, here's what your prescription is. Don't be afraid. You be faithful. And normally in five of the seven letters, he says, and if you don't, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You know, he talks to him like a child. I'll tell you what's going to happen. He does not do that here. There is no rebuke for the church at Smyrna. Why is that? Here it is. I believe that God identifies more and reveals himself more fully and in a special dimension in suffering than he does in anything else. If you're suffering, he won't rebuke you in suffering. He will tenderly embrace you and love you through the suffering. So there's no rebuke. There's no prognosis. So then what? So the doctor goes on. Dr. Jesus moves to the promise. And he says, I will give you life as your victor's crown. He says, whoever, verse 11, has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. He says, listen, I know it hurts where you're at. I know it's not pleasant where you're at. But let me remind you, I'm the first and the last. I was dead and I'm alive. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that can take you out of my hand. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing that can cause you to experience the second death. Now, let me pause because we all need to understand the idea of death. It's a popular subject. We love to talk. You know, you sit around at, over here at Zaxby's or wherever and have your lunch and talk about dying. What a wonderful thing, right? Wrong. Nobody talks about it, okay? Nobody wants to talk about it. It's imminent. It is a reality. Short of Jesus returning for the church, you and I will die, okay? And, and he says, you won't be affected by the second death. So let me explain what all that is because I want you to know this. Nicodemus. He's rocking along, and he's curious about Jesus, and he says, hey, 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 how can I be saved? And he says, well, unless you are born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, okay, let's break this thing down. i got to be born again. How's that supposed to work? Nicodemus says, i got to get in my mother's womb, be born again. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Kind of nasty. I don't want that. Okay? He says, no, 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 no. He says, you've been born once physically. You must be born again spiritually. Okay, so here's what happens. Everybody experiences a physical birth. Everybody has the once birth down. Everyone, none of you were hatched. None of you were formulated, fabricated in a factory. Okay, you were born. I know you wonder about your spouse. They were born too. They're not an alien. They were born. Okay, now, so you got that one down. You can check that box, born once. Okay, now here's the thing. If that's all you ever experience in your life is a physical birth, if you never experience another birth, you will die physically, and the second death is you will die spiritually. To be separated from God, your creator, for all of eternity, not in some happy little oblivion nirvana place, but in a place called hell that God created for the demons, okay? Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. It's a very real place, and you'll spend second death in that place, okay? That's what it means. So, so I'm born once. I checked that box, okay? I'm headed to two deaths, physical and spiritual, what changes that end result to be born again? What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit of God whispers to your soul and says, hey, I see you, I know you, I watch you, and I love you. But I cannot receive you in heaven in your condition because you're born with this sin curse 
and you have embraced it and wrapped it on like a jacket and you have lived a life of sin and I am here offering you a brand new birth to start all over again, to be washed in the sacrificial blood of Jesus, to seal you with my Holy Spirit and to call me my, to call you my very own child from this day forevermore. And when you hear that in your soul and you say, you know, you're right. I am a sinner and I do have this sinful condition and you're offering me a brand new life. You're wanting to make a brand new creature out of me. A br- all old things are passed away. Behold, all things will be new. I'm in. I give all of my sinfulness to all of your perfection, and I receive your grace gift into my life. You're born again. You have a new birth. And he says, when you have two births, you only have one death, and that's a physical death. I'm standing here as a, before you as a product of two births, born physically, born again at 10 years old, and one death. If Jesus doesn't return and rapture me first, I got one death to look for. It don't bother me a bit because I know what's on the other side. And I used to say, you've heard people say this, yeah, dying, I know I'm going to heaven when I go, but I'm not really wanting to be on the next bus. You know, you've heard people say that, you know, I don't want to go on the next load. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm 56 years old. If he put me on the next bus, I got no problem. Because when you realize the greatness of what he has in store for us in heaven, it trumps everything everything in our existence. I love my wife. I love my daughters. I like my son-in-laws. Okay. I was just kidding. I love them too, some. And I love my two grandchildren. I mean, I have to confess sometimes. Sometimes I think I love them more than Jesus and that's a problem. Okay. I I love them. But you know what? I know what I got in store on the other side. It's better than all of that. And, And I trust they're born again. They're going to join me one day too. Now, Here's, this is what this church looked like. They embraced that. They were like, man, this stinks a little bit right now to be in Smyrna and to be the church and to be the outcast and to be suffering. And, 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 but I trust him. Why? Because he was before, before. And he's after, after. And he was dead. And now he's alive. And I can see the pastor of that church in Smyrna say, so I say, we get right back out there and do it again. And when they tell us to, 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 to praise Caesar, we say, no way. He's not our king. Jesus is our king. What are you going to do about it? Now, listen, that's real. Listen how real it is. The church began to be persecuted. I want you to see and hear what that looked like. Paul beheaded. Peter crucified upside down. Ignatius, the pastor of Antioch, fed to the lions. Perpetua, a young mother, 22 years old, would not call uh, Caesar Lord, but professed to be a Christian. They stripped her down naked. They hung her in a mesh bag. They suspended her from a cable, and they swung this bag with her naked Christian body in it, and they released a long-horned bull, and he gored her body to a pulp because she was a Christian. That's the world they live in. And we don't tell people about Jesus. Why? And we don't claim Jesus with a spine standing strong and saying, I'm a part of the forever church. Jesus is my king. He died so I can live. 
I want to tell you about it. You need to know about it. You need to be a part of the kingdom. Let me tell you what that looks like. And it's mom crickets. We don't say a word. Why? It gets worse. Polycarp would be the pastor at this little church in Smyrna. And they tried to stomp Polycarp out. They broke him. They beat him. They pulverized him. And he just kept putting off aroma. He just kept emitting a fragrance. So finally, at their wit's end of what to do with this church and this leader, the Roman leader established a garrison of soldiers. And they said, this guy is a troublemaker. He's an insurrectionist. He's, he stands against Rome. He's causing a problem. They're spreading. More and more people are following this guy. You need to go extinguish him. So he put this garrison together. History says that when the garrison showed up to pick up Polycarp, he had not fled, but he's praying. And he knew they were coming because he had a vision from the Lord that said, Polycarp, you will be burned to death. He knew his days were short. And so when they got there, he said, men, welcome to my home. Come on in. Let me cook you a meal. All I ask is you just let me pray for a season and you all enjoy this meal. The historians say that he began to pray out loud. And before the meal was over, many of the garrison, one, they were amazed because this was not the guy that they were told he would be. This is a little old man, 86 years old, who fed him a meal. And he began to pray for him, just labored over in prayer. And many of them came to repentance and came to faith in Jesus Christ because of this little old man that was causing all of the trouble. And so they arrested him and they took him in. And when, once he got there, they asked him in the Colosseum. They had a huge Colosseum that seated about 10,000 people. And they brought Polycarp in there, and they told him, recant your faith. And as they began the counsel against him, historians say that a voice from heaven came out and said, Polycarp, be strong today and show thyself a man. And Polycarp, his little 86-year-old frail body, the voice from heaven says, you stand strong. Why? Because I was before the before. I'll be after the after. I was dead, and now I'm alive. I got the whole world in my hand, and you're on it. So then what happens? They said, uh, recant your faith. Polycarp says, 80 and six years now I have served him, and he never did me any harm. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? But since thou art vainly urgent that as thou sayest, I should swear by the fortune of Caesar and pretend not to know who and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. Don't you love that? In case you didn't get the memo, I am a Christian. I don't just wear a Christian t-shirt. I don't just have a fish on the back of my car. I don't just go to church sometimes. I don't just this. I don't just that. I am a Christian. I want you to say that with me. Some of you may have never said that in your life. One, two, three. On count of three, I want you to say, I am a Christian. One, two, three. I am a Christian. One, two, three. I want to hear it again. One, two, three. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. You ought to grow that. You ought to wear that. It ought to come out of your mouth more than when beckoned from the pastor's spot up here. 
It ought to come up in conversations. Why do you act like that? Why do you not tell that guy off? Why don't you blow the horn with your spouse next to you? Why don't you blow the horn at that guy? Uh, Lights being green for a half second, okay, because I am a Christian, okay? I had a young man uh, who came into my world um, about, uh, I'm going to say 10 years ago. His name was Roger Luca. He's from Romania. And they asked me, they said, uh, Joel, you, I was a student pastor, and says, will you take Roger and show him the school and let him watch football practice and stuff and kind of introduce him to our culture? And I said, sure. And Roger was a big guy. He ultimately would work for me. He's, man, I just loved him. And he's, we're sitting up there in the stands. He says, Joel? I said, yeah, Roger. He says, those boys, do they smoke? And I said, like, cigarettes or weed? He said, cigarettes. I said, probably 20% of them smoke a little cigarette. I said, and he's from Romania. I don't know. I'm, you know. I said, do you? He said, no, I'm a Christian. I said, okay, it's cool. I'm glad, man. It was great. Okay. So we're sitting there, and he says, do it? I says, yeah, Raj. He says, those boys, do they drink alcohol? And I said, yeah, probably about the same. Probably a fourth of them drink a little alcohol. You drink alcohol? No, I'm a Christian. It's like that. I'm just offended that I don't even ask. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. And I'm thinking, as soon as he's saying that, I'm like, why is this the first time I had ever in my life heard anybody be that bold in proclaiming their faith? See, he came from a culture that was different. We are so pitifully soft in our Christian identity today. We need to be like, Roger, I'm going to spin the table forward. He went into the Navy. I will share this. We bought him a car, a Reliant K car. Anybody remember them? Yeah, they're beautiful. This one was like a butterscotch tan. He worked at Papa John's. No air conditioning, July. I'm sitting at the intersection, and out of the corner of my eye, I see Papa John's and this butterscotch Reliant. And he's about 6'5", and man, he's sitting up in that thing, got his hand on the window. Hey, Joel! I said, hey, Raj, what's up? He said, living the dream. I said, no, you ain't. That's a reliant you're in. That's a nightmare, okay? Why? Because he had moved from where he was into something new. And when he got into something new, he realized new is a good thing, okay? And it changed everything about him. Now back to Polycarp. So they say, recant your faith or we will turn wild beast on you, Polycarp. Polycarp stood and he says, we'll call for the beast. We are not accustomed to repent of what is good, to adopt what is evil. It will be good for me on this day to be converted into full righteousness. So then they realized he wasn't afraid of the beast, and they just wanted him to recant. Because if you can make the leader recant, the followers, many of them, will follow with him. So the council said, if you do not recant then, we will cause you to be consumed by fire. And he already knew that's how he would die. So he told them, thou threaten me with a fire that burns for an hour, and after a little time is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment. And of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly, why then dost thou tarry? Bring forth what thy will. So Polycarp was ready. 
Historians say he removed his robe, he took off his sandals, he stood naked before the Colosseum, and they had the post there, and the Jews brought the wood to consume his body. He walked over to the post, and he said, no nails will be required to uh, anchor me to this post. The Lord Jesus will allow me to stand in the midst of this fire. The Bible uh, historians say that he stood among the wood, and he stood at the post, and they ignited the fire. And as they ignited the fire, he began to pray. And this is his prayer. Oh, Lord God Almighty, the Father of the beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by who we have received the knowledge of thee, and the God of angels, and the God of powers, and every creature, and of the whole race of of the righteous who will before thee live, I give thee thanks now that thou hast counted me worthy of this day and this hour that I should have part in the number of thy martyrs in the cup of thy Christ to the resurrection of eternal life both of soul and body through the incorruption of the Holy Spirit among whom may I be accepted on this day before thee as a fat and acceptable sacrifice according to thou the ever truthful God hast foreordained and hast revealed beforehand to me and now hast fulfilled. Wherefore I also praise thee for all things. I bless thee. I glorify thee along with the everlasting and heavenly Jesus Christ, thy beloved Son, which whom to thee and the Holy Ghost be glory both now and to all coming ages. Amen. Historians say the the, the fire began to engulf his body. And it wrapped around his body like an arch, like a sail full of wind, yet his body would not be consumed by fire. Historians say that an aroma of baking bread filled the Colosseum, and his body just began to glow like an amber brown, the color of roasting bread, but he would not die. And so the, the Roman leader told one of his soldiers, put a spear in him so he'll die. They said they stuck a spear in his body, and when the blood came out, it exploded all over the fire and extinguished the fire. Now, you can say, well, that's, a, that's just an old story. It's history. It's history. And I want to tell you something. Church, individuals, I'm looking for transparency. Watch, I want you to see, see something. If you've gone through suffering in your life, and maybe you're suffering right now, maybe you came through a season of suffering and he's delivered you. Maybe you just feel like you just got in one. Maybe you've been walking in one for a while. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I am. Okay. I want you to look around. You're not alone. You are not alone. If you didn't raise your hand, we need to pray for you because there may be some in your future because suffering is a part of the Christian experience. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to know today, church, if you're suffering, the Lord Jesus is right there in the middle with you. And he will deliver you one way or the other. And maybe you're here today and you are not a child of God and you know it. You feel something different. You're like, man, I wish I, I wish I felt like I had that kind of relationship where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I wish I really, really knew that if I died today, he has heaven waiting for me, but I just don't have that peace. If you're here today and that's you, I don't want you to leave today not knowing 
how you can find that peace. It's not rocket science. It's the simplicity of the gospel. And it is this. God loves you because he's love. God knows you're a sinner because you're human. God came to this earth in the form of a human named Jesus Christ so he could identify with you. He died on a rugged cross shedding his blood for you, paying your sin debt. He has done all of the work. On the third day, he rose from the dead, demonstrating he was God and he had victory over death, hell, and the grave on your behalf. And if you want that grace gift in your life, you simply repent, change your mind, and agree with God of who you are and who he is. And simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know it. God, I believe you love me anyway. I don't get it, but I believe it. I believe that Jesus came and paid my debt on a cross. I want that gift that he gave to come into my life. Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me on this day. And let me feel that salvation from this day forevermore. I trust that my salvation is in you and you alone. And I cannot contribute to your salvation. You've done all the work. I want you to have done all that work for me. I receive you into my life. Thank you for hearing this old sinner prayer. Thank you for saving me and calling me your child from this day forevermore. Help me live for you. Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name.